This morning I journaled for the first time since July, I think, and uh, I realized that I need to uh, think my way through things. I've had this realization, of course, a million times that in order to really know what I'm thinking, I need to write or podcast or something in order to kind of release myself from the the circular aspect of it because I'll tend to circle around the same thing over and over again in my head and until I can sort of get it out there on the page or into the microphone and it, it persists in a less than healthy way I would say uh, I was going through some of the recordings from last week and uh, yeah it was not pretty a lot of hesitation in my speaking because I'm driving a car so you can kind of tell when I'm my attention is going to uh, survival instead of speaking into the microphone and I also say you know a lot I don't think I'm going to be able to break myself of that habit anytime soon but I'll just be even more self-conscious than usual and um, I was riffing on the idea of identity excuse me, and not making a whole lot of sense. Um, Another little piece of my background that um, is relevant to why I see this idea of identity differently than most people that I talk to or uh, whose articles I might be reading or something is that I had a very strong interest in Eastern philosophy back in my 20s I actually got a master's degree in something called East-West Psychology which really only exists at this one institution um, in which I got the degree and back in the day we're talking about the 90s this is before mindfulness was all the rage so if you had an interest in kind of integrating psychology and Eastern wisdom in in any way, this was really the only place or one of the few places you could do it. So I was into all this, um, as many people in their 20s are, that are kind of focused on the meaning of life and this intense self-inquiry that can happen at that stage of your life. And so... The concepts of identity for me were very, are still very much flavored by this uh, Eastern, mostly Buddhist, but you know possibly some other stuff in there conception of identity. And so I filter a lot of the things uh, in today's discourse about identity politics and racial identity through that lens, and I mean. So I'm recognizing that that's a very unusual way probably of looking at it. But the question, my question is, is it a, you know, is it a better way to look at it or more accurate or more thoughtful? Um, So I don't know. 
I guess I to explore that. I mean, just in a very very simple nutshell model. Um, if you look at say the human psyche, um, there's a concept in psychology called the shadow, which would mean at some stage, a lot of people they will identify with what um, Young, Carl Young, would have called the persona. So it's only the acceptable parts of the psyche. And you disidentify with what's called the shadow, all the negative parts. And that's, you know, you'll get discussions of projecting the shadow elsewhere. So when you hear a lot of these new agey type things about projecting the negative aspects of yourselves on others, which definitely happens. Um, it's that there's a, a process of identity inherent in that. And that you're identifying with parts of yourself and not all parts of yourself. You push, push the negative or unacceptable parts away. And those, you know, feel like they're not you. And uh, one of the, the moves you're making that's part of psychological or spiritual growths, the direction you want to go in is to integrate you want to integrate the psyche and the shadow, or the persona rather, and the shadow to have what's called like an integrated psyche. And that direction of sort of embracing and incorporating that which you disidentify with into a larger, deeper, more inclusive identity is something that, uh, to my mind, is the direction people want to go in. And then, I mean, you have more esoteric, esoteric levels of this. Most of us, for instance, I feel that uh, we have a body. You know, like we're almost, like our self is kind of situated somewhere behind the eyes, and the body is something that we have. It's it's not super duper fundamentally us. Like you could get your hand chopped off and, you know, it's your hand. It's just something you have, but you are still totally intact. And one of the, again, the, another sort of stage of development that you can go through on the, the spiritual path or personal growth path is that to recognize that you are your body. So this internal split, the subjective split where it's, you know, I am my mind and my body is this thing that I have, uh, integrating that and, and having your, your consciousness or your state of being feel more like an integrated body mind. Like I am my body and mind. It's not a thing that I'm riding around or trying to control is considered in uh, a lot of Eastern philosophy and even Western depth psychology, like a, a, a higher stage of development that you want to move toward. And then you can even get to, you know, even more rarefied things, uh, you know, where you have yourself on one side of a dividing line and then the environment on the other, and that can loosen too, and you can actually come to experience a sense of self that's inclusive it's like you know being one with 
the universe type of a thing. So forgetting about the validity of a lot of that, it's the idea of identity as your sense of self, your sense of I, um, and how that can shift and the direction you want it to shift is into this ever more inclusive sense of self from a narrower sense is part of the bias that I have when I'm looking at these issues. And then there's also the sort of Eastern Taoist Buddhist realization that categories and concepts in general are illusory in a sense. You know, even the concept of tree, you know, is not the tree itself. And names aren't the thing named. And um, language and categories can stir up illusions. For instance, um, uh, a famous example would be the lightning flashed. Uh, and in the English language, we kind of have to have the subject and an object. So, you know, you have the the thing, the lightning, and ha has the action of flashing. And that's really an illusion can be generated just from that linguistic structure because there really is no thing, the lightning, separate from the flashing. The flashing is the lightning. But since we have to express it in English, we say the lightning flashed with, the, with an object and then the, the action it can generate an illusion that, there's a, that there is a, a thing called the lightning that is flashing, doing this action, when that's not really um, how things are. And uh, wh when you're making categories that, to get back to, the, to this discussion, you know, white people, black people, Asian people, the question to me, I mean, is again like i mentioned last time i mean all categorization to be conventional and contextual there may be certain contexts where it's useful to group someone by skin color and i was throwing out the example of you know skin cancer screening or something uh, but it seems to me to be a strange category to base one's identity on there doesn't seem to be a, any coherence to that category that would be useful in that sense. Um, you wouldn't really be able to tell anything about a person from skin color in terms of values and cultural mores or, or something that, um, in, in that sense, might be a, a more useful way to categorize people. There'd be a, you know, a, a more of a, for me, it's more reasonable to understand why someone would base their identity on such a thing. Uh, we live in kind of more of a, an integrated society in the United States, but I mean, you could certainly see if there was a person from a small community that shared a language with a small number of people in an area that was demarcated by, you know, geographical borders. Um, you could understand why you would want to uh, have a category, be a useful category. Because if you're dealing with someone from a small country that only speaks a certain language and has very uh, different customs than you, you'd want to know about that. And you could say, well, this person is a, you know, a person from this area and is likely to 
identify with the people in their immediate community in a different way than they're going to identify with you. But skin color uh, doesn't seem to to be that way, especially in a in a society like ours. And also the and and as soon as you start speaking as if it is, I think you get into all kinds of weird um, confusions. And I think a lot of the discussions, like say around white privilege, for instance, can get mired in this. I mean, there's no doubt that uh, everybody has privileges and disadvantages. And it seems like a good thing to be aware of how fortunate you are in each context and to be compassionate toward those who are disadvantaged in some way. That makes total sense to me. But the way that the the concept is used, I mean, it's in the word there, white privilege. Well, that sort of already generates this illusion that there are these types of people called white people. And it can generate, I think, a lot of uh, false associations and confusion. One uh, maybe possibly silly thought experiment I was making when I was having a discussion with my wife about this. I was imagining a hypothetical town uh, wherein, say, there's, it's a very small town. There's only like, you know, a hundred people in it. And 10 or 20 of the guys in the town that have beards, they just decide at some point, you know, to identify around having a beard and that people without beards are scum. And when they see people uh, without beards, men without beards, they, you know, beat the shit out of them or something. Maybe this group calls themselves the the Beardos. And... um, so to me, this is an insane thing to base your identity on, a, f- a facial hair characteristic. But imagine in this town, I, I stroll through the town and I happen to have a beard. And I walk through this group of 10, 20 guys and they say, hey, what's up? And I say, hey, what's up, guys? And I just stroll through like it's nothing. And then uh, another guy comes through five minutes later who's clean shaven and gets their ass kicked now you could say that I have quote unquote beard privilege um, and yeah I mean in one sense of course I'm uh, lucky for me I happen to have a beard going through a town where there's a bunch of douchebags that base their identity on that but it, I'm not, it doesn't affiliate me or associate me with them in any way um, someone shouldn't look at me with my beard and just assume that I'm some that I'm a beardo that I'm that I want to beat the hell out of people because that would be silly and just as this thought experiment was all right pulling into work fuck off hey good morning good morning good morning that's what I say like a hundred times every time I go into the school you're always seeing you know kids in the hallway and good morning good morning good morning but I try to, you know, acknowledge them all. Um, it does feel like a good morning to me. I've been sick as a dog. I don't know why that makes any sense. Dogs are seem as healthy as any other animal. But, um, yeah, same with horses. Why is it healthy as a horse and sick as a dog? What's up with that? Um, 
yeah, I was sick. Thursday night going into Friday, the sore throat, and then it was a, just a shit show after that. Not literally. Basically, it's just a cold I'm not used to having to deal with that type of issue. And it messed up my sleep, and that just compounded the problem. And Yesterday was a rare day uh, on the job where I wasn't 100%. Not only was I not 100%, I was, I was like below 50%. I was pretty much worthless. And I really really hate that that feeling of being in a job that requires focus and presence and but there was nothing I could do about it I mean I can't control illness and poor sleep but last night I got to bed at a decent hour the cold symptoms went down and now I am back in action hopefully this morning I um, I got up and while I was boiling the water for coffee I, I do like a French press thing so I put the first thing I do is I put on a big pot of water and boil it and I'm always challenged to try to figure out how to cram in exercise time throughout the day it's really not that difficult if you just do it and you, if you're satisfied with just doing what you can do because what you can do even if it's very small is so much better than nothing so just while the water was boiling I did uh some chin-ups and push-ups and yeah it wasn't some groundbreaking workout but then I started the day with some chin-ups and push-ups and it it's so easy to minimize that and think oh that's not some huge major workout with weights and going to the gym so why should I bother and then you take that attitude and the whole week goes by and you haven't done any strength work whereas you could easily do a little bit here and there and I don't know, sometimes I think that might even be better. If you do them here and there throughout the day, you know, maybe there's no need to like, quote unquote, go to the gym or work out. You're just using your body sort of as it's meant to be used. So, but of course, every time I have that realization, it doesn't last long, but today was nice. I got a little strength workout in and then I ran a mile and a half and I've been rehabbing from a torn lateral collateral ligament and meniscus. And only recently I've been able to do any running. And then, you know, the sickness didn't really help with the uh, rehab regimen. So I went out, jogged a mile and a half, um, and that felt good. So it's just to start the morning, to be on the way to work, and already feel like, in a sense, you've won the day is a, a really good feeling. Because even if the day goes sideways now and I... You know, if I come home late and don't have time to do X, Y, and Z, you know, I feel like I've got that in the bank. I've got that uh, little bit of exercise. And again, it's just, if you did that every single day, as opposed to nothing, it's going to shape your body and your mind, actually. So it's just that, that same realization, like, you are what you do. It's so obvious that if you're somebody that uses your body in a particular way as far as you know lifting things and pushing your body weight or pushing weights you're gonna have a strong body um, and if you don't you're gonna have the body that corresponds to what you do on a daily basis and for a lot of people it's just sitting around like sitting at in an office or something I've lost a few battles in the last couple of years with 
surgeries and injuries and different health things where I am taken out of the mix. And really ever since I I started working full time, I don't think I've perfectly succeeded in coming up with a a routine that perfectly fits with this ultra early morning lifestyle that I have. I mean, the bottom line is I've got to get up at five o'clock in the morning and just do things, do stuff, forget about the declaration. And uh, of course, now I'm making a declaration about that. So there's just no escaping the assholery. I've been listening to uh, Better Oblivion Community Center, which is um, a band headed by Connor Oberst of Bright Eyes fame and uh, whom I've been an admirer of for years. I saw them live, I think, in 2000, early 2000s. And he was like a wunderkind teenager that he was, I guess they would call the music emo. I didn't like the emo aspect. He sort of had these over-the-top emotive vocals on a lot of his songs. And I was always just, you know, loving the songwriting and the lyrics, but wishing he, you know, sung them without that affectation. Uh, but I think he, he does less of that now. I mean, as he's he's gotten older, he's probably in his mid-30s now, 36, something like that. Um, he's still an amazing songwriter, just absolutely prolific. And with lyrics and, um, you know, a catalog that... It's like Dylan-esque. I mean, the guy, he's been in various different projects, and I'm just... He's just one of those guys that, for his generation, is just amazing. And he teamed up with this young woman, Phoebe Bridgers, whom I have never heard of. And uh, she's a young woman, like in her... I think she's 25, maybe, and came on the scene a couple of years ago. The scene being, you know, how I'm discovering music these days, which is like KEXP Seattle. They have a YouTube channel. And just about every band that I've really gotten into lately has sort of gone through there. And it's not just all sort of folk, acoustic-y. There's, um, I mean, this Better Oblivion Community Center is a plugged-in band, but just with great dynamics and, you know, singing in unison. And it's the type, they're the type of band dynamics-wise, I always wanted my first band uh, to be. But uh, my first band, I, sh- I say mine, it was really my, my buddy's band that I was just in. But uh, I always wanted it to be very sensitive to you know, everybody having a role in dynamics and making sure the, the vocals and the harmonies and the songwriting could really come out. And it just never worked out that way. We'd always be too loud and just want to play with you know, drunken energy, and it would, it would just sound like shit. And the songs were still good, but despite our terrible dynamics. So, Better Oblivion Community Center and uh, Phoebe Bridger's solo, I'm really interested in as well. And yeah, I just keep stumbling on things. There's another acoustic y singer songwriter artist called Madison Cunningham. I discovered her because she was doing like a cover a week on her YouTube channel, and she did a cover of. Gillian Welch, uh, the song Everything is Free. I'd never heard the tune. I'm not really that familiar with Gillian Welch or Gillian Welch or however you pronounce her name. But the song Everything is Free is just amazing. So I'm learning that now on the acoustic. 
and I'm at work. Bye. Everything is free now That's what they say Everything I've ever done I'm gonna give it away Someone hit the big score Figure it out That we're gonna do it Even if it doesn't pay